We thank our worship team for leading us today. It's so powerful. I hate to break the spirit and get up to preach. But actually, what I'm, what I'm sharing with you about is about the kind of stronghold that people need to have broken. And we're in this series that's called Strapped. And if there's another word for being strapped, it's being under a stronghold of being imprisoned by your circumstances, imprisoned by your finances, imprisoned by your limitations, and unable to see the way forward. And so uh, the name of Jesus, who we've been celebrating, is the way forward. Amen? And so, amen? (laughs) He is the way forward, and he is the way to freedom. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus is the truth, and he's going to set us free from being strapped. Today, as we are in part three of this series, we're, we're going to be just talking a little bit about the way that we describe ourselves and the way we think about ourselves. You know, if you think of yourself as strapped, you think of yourself as under a stronghold, think of yourself as not free to be the person God fully designed you to be, that's a very fearful kind of an experience. So today, I want you to bear with me as we go through this message to be thinking about the ways that the gospel will change the way we think about ourselves and our resources, and we can be set free. Descriptions are really important, the way you describe yourself. Once I was traveling with a friend, and we came to a, uh, a fast food place. We decided to stop and get something to eat. And as we're standing there in line, this uh, friend looked over and kind of whispered. He said, Bob, could you, could you cover me? I, I've kind of got the Zacchaeus syndrome going on. And I said, the Zacchaeus syndrome? What's that? He goes, I'm a little short. <laughs> so now you know you can come to church and hear dad jokes uh, in, the, in the service. But I want to start with a little bit of a humor because descriptions really are important. Why, think about um, how names and descriptions stick. If you were to name a certain device that we call a handheld radio transceiver, some wise person nicknamed it the walkie-talkie, and it stuck. What if that same wise person were in charge of naming everything? How would that have changed our lives? Well, maybe stamps would be called licky stickies. (laughs) Or maybe a defibrillator would be called a hearty starty, or, or a pregnancy test, maybe baby, <laughs> um, or, or socks, heedy feedy, <laughs> or feedy heedy, sorry, feedy heedy. And what about a nightmare? We'd call it a screamy dreamy. <laughs> so how would that person have named a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Hopefully something like Givy Livy or Sherry, carry, because those are the ways that we are different than the culture around us. Giving with an idea of eternal life, sharing and caring about all those around us. And so today as we begin to go deeper into this message, I want you to recognize that if you haven't already, the Bible that I hold in my hand is an amazing financial 
principle handbook. Why, as you turn through the pages of Scripture, you find these principles, if you'll recognize them, all through the Scripture. For example, go to Genesis. In Genesis, you find Joseph, who is now in a place of leadership in Pharaoh's court, and he makes a decree that the grains should be, the silos should be filled with grain during the seasons of plenty, so that when the famine comes, they have resources to feed the people. And so successful was this operation that people came from other lands into Egypt seeking provisions. That's a great principle, isn't it? In times of plenty, store up for when you have little. Or if you were to go to Proverbs, look at this verse of Scripture here. This is not our text today, but it's just a way of leading into these financial principles. The proverb says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and, be, and become wise. Though they have no prince or no governor to rule over them and make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. There again is a principle that's found in the wise book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is full of financial advice. Jesus himself talked more about our resources and the management of them than any other subject. And you would say, wait a minute. I thought Jesus talked more about heaven than anything else or more about forgiveness than anything else. But some scholars who have counted what he focused on would say, no, he focused more on the day-to-day living and living as we think differently of ourselves as citizens in the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we try to see what Jesus had to say. So, if you've ever watched the TV show or the movie The Chosen, um, we've been re- re-watching it on these wintry nights. We're, we're going through it, and we got to the place last week where uh, Jesus was ready to share the Sermon on the Mount, and he referred to it, the actor and the script referred to it as his manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, my manifesto, which actually is not so bad because it's been said that if all of the Scripture were stripped away from you and you just had the Sermon on the Mount remaining, you would still have the principles by which to live. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave a financial principle, and let's take a look at it here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. In fact, I'm going to ask you to read this in unison with me. Let's read it together. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is what our Lord Jesus had to say to us, and so today I want to help you look at some truths that the Scripture, our great financial handbook, gives to us And let me just kind of summarize it as we begin by giving you the sermon in a sentence, if you promise not to leave after we read this, okay? Here is the sermon in a sentence. Seeing yourself as a citizen of the kingdom of God will dramatically change the way you think about your life's purpose and your financial stewardship. And that's what this message is about today, is changing our thinking 
about finances and our purpose in life because we see ourselves differently than just temporary residents here on earth consuming what we can get. So let's dive in. The first way, this, this sermon in a sentence said it will change the way you think. The first way that your thinking is changed is that you will think differently as a recipient of God's goodness. You will think about yourself differently as a recipient. You know, we're the recipient of so many blessings that we have failed to count. For example, First Church is a blessing. You know, I, in my last uh, couple of decades, I've had opportunity to travel widely across the country, and I can say with authority, there are many small towns in America where people would give anything if they could have a congregation like First Church in their town that could be a part of their life. I'm just telling you, it's a blessing for us to be a part of this vibrant congregation. But perhaps one of the best illustrations of someone not recognizing their blessings comes in the uh, holiday movie, or it's really kind of a movie that a lot of families have a tradition of watching during the holiday season called It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you know that movie? Raise your hand if you know. A lot of you know uh, in the first service, I said, how many of you watch it during the holidays? And about two people raised their hand. But at least we all know the movie. But if the synopsis of it is a great reminder of what happens when we fail to recognize our blessings. You see, George Bailey was a very frustrated man living there in Bedford Falls because as a young man, he had visions of grandeur that he was going to travel the world and make a difference in this world. But because of his father's sudden death, he found himself stepping into the Bailey Savings and Loan and taking leadership of that institution in what he called this crummy little town, Bedford Falls. He felt that it was a big constraint in his life, and it prevented him from achieving his dreams. He didn't see the blessings of his family. He didn't see the blessings of his community. He only saw what he perceived to be the limitations. And so as the film goes on, uh, a, a financial crisis creates such despair in George Bailey that he decides that he's going to take his own life. And he decides to plunge off of a bridge into an icy river to end his misery. But you know, as it would be in this great story by Al Capra, there was a, an old kind of lumpy angel by the name of Clarence who, uh, who dives into the river and saves him. And uh, as he's rewarming himself in the, in the shack at the end of the bridge, he makes this statement, I wish I had never been born. And uh, all of a sudden, the angel Clarence said, George, you've been, giving a, you've been given a good and wonderful gift. You are going to be able to see what the world would be like if you had never been born. And so the rest of the story goes on to show how Bedford Falls is not even called Bedford Falls. It's called Potterville because of uh, who takes over and, and how lives all through the community are different because he was never born. And finally, at, at the end of the film, we come to the realization, or he comes to the realization, that he has been incredibly blessed with a family who loves him. 
He has been incredibly blessed with all of the neighbors and friends from the community who come to express to him their love and devotion in the midst of his financial crisis. And uh, he comes to understand life in a different way. And I say to you that it's a wonderful parable of life that all of us need to watch from time to time to be reminded that we have failed to understand the blessings that God has given to us, and we are the recipients of His blessing. But it also changes the way we think about our perception of God's provision. In 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, we read these words, as believers, we live by the promises of the Bible, and the Bible says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God's provision in our lives. Last week we heard from our missionary uh, friend Norberto, who was here from Paraguay. And uh, those who have traveled to Paraguay and see the, the lifestyle standards in that place in South America uh, come to realize that even they experience God's provision for all of their needs, and we come home and realize, oh, what we think we need so are so many wants, and we live as Americans in abundance. And even the person who is on welfare with a rusty old car to drive around, it should be thankful that they're better off than most of the world than most of the world. And so God will provide what we need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, God identified himself as a provider in Genesis 22 in this great financial handbook that I'm holding. You see that Abraham believed that God was calling him to offer his own son Isaac as a sacrifice. And as he prepared to do so, he is met with a voice from the Lord that the Lord said, I, my God will supply the sacrifice. And he supplied the lamb as a foreshadowing of the lamb of God, which would be provided as the sacrifice for our sins. And in that text, we see God identifying himself in this way, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. God is our provider. The scripture text also tells us that in the Exodus uh, narrative, you see the people of God being led through the wilderness. Some say at least a million people. And uh, how are they fed? With manna from heaven that God provided. Where did their water come from in the desert? From God's provision, the water from the rock. And uh, God provided for them in every way. He provided the meat. He provided the crossing of the Red Sea. He provided a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He provided for every aspect of their moving to the promised land. God helps us think differently about him as a provider. But he also helps us think differently about the opportunities that come into our life. We begin to recognize in this great financial handbook of ours that if we trust the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our strength, that he will direct our paths. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, He directs us our paths into the decisions we make. He directs our paths in the way that we should go. And He also directs us as what to do with the resources that He has placed in our hands. How did we get those resources? The Lord provided. Now, we take a look at... Um, Deuteronomy chapter 8 in this great financial handbook that we hold, and you have this great text. I'm going to ask you to read this one also in unison with me from Deuteronomy chapter 8. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and to continue His covenant, which He swore by your ancestors as it is today to confirm his covenant. This is God's word that says to us that when we start to think that we're smart or clever or ingenious or a great financial planner, we should go back to this scripture. It says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. All that we have comes from him. And so I share with you as we move to the second way that we think differently, a, a kind of a transition statement here. Now, in more than four decades of pastoral ministry, I've had the joy of watching people come to Christ and then eventually become kingdom people. Now let me share with you what I mean by that. Most of us, when we accept Christ into our lives, we are at a crisis. We realize that we're in the stronghold of sin. We're in the stronghold of despair. We need healing in our life, healing in our family, healing in our relationship, deliverance from habits. We need so many things, and we call upon the name of Jesus, our Savior, and as we start out as believers, we're saying these words, God is here for me. And he is. He's saved you. He's helped you. He's given you new perspective. It's true to say, God is here for me. But then I watch as people grow in their faith. What happens is they move from saying, God is here for me, to saying, I am here for God. And so that's a sign of maturity. As when we no longer say, God is here for me, but we begin to say, I am here for God. Which is why in our, in our church, we have a partnership class instead of a membership class. You know, membership sounds like all of the privileges of membership, and you have these, uh, these rights and privileges that come to you. But partnership is a different way of thinking. It's saying, I, I'm throwing my hat into the ring to be a a believer who participates in the kingdom work of this local congregation. And I'm a partner in the gospel, not only with my brothers and sisters, but a partner with the Lord himself. And we're saying, I am here for God. So the second way that we change our thinking, the first way is that we see ourselves differently as recipients, but the second way we think differently is that we see ourselves as a partner in the gospel. You see, as citizens, we think about the resources that God's given to us differently. We think about the resources of our time 
and our talent. I think about our, our trips to Paraguay, which we were celebrating last week with 20 years of people going to Paraguay, making an incredible difference. And hundreds and maybe thousands of people have come to the Lord through the efforts that we have partnered with those people who are now our friends and brothers and sisters in Paraguay. So you ask the question, why would somebody spend $3,000 and give up their vacation time and go to Paraguay when for $3,000 you could also have a nice time at Walt Disney World? It's because of this burning sense of passion that we're partners in the work of the gospel and that we make choices about what we do with our resources so that we can see kingdom progress. And that's a joyful thing to see happening. So we, we are citizens thinking differently about our time and our talents. We're citizens thinking differently about our financial resources. That's why we choose to get out of debt, because we don't want to be in the stronghold of debt. Look at what this verse says in Proverbs chapter 22. You've probably heard this. It's a key teaching of uh, financial guru Dave Ramsey, who's a Christian. And the verse says here, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. In other words, as, as a borrower, you're strapped. You're constrained. Your options are being controlled by someone else and um, an obligation that you've made. And so we teach people through our classes in financial peace, which you'll hear about in the Pulse today, we, we teach about budgeting, about having an emergency fund. You know, so many American families are one busted water heater away from financial um, disaster. But there's a way that's Jesus' way, and we want you to know it, and becoming generous. You know, one of the greatest joys that we have in our marriage is when we come towards the end of the year and we kind of pour a cup of coffee and sit at the kitchen table and begin to talk about how can we support these mission endeavors in addition to our local church? How can we make year-end gifts? And the feeling of being generous and helping ministries move forward is one of the greatest joys of the Christian life. And so I, I say to you, these are the privileges that happens when we change our thinking. Now, think of the name Alfred Nobel. Maybe you're not aware of the backstory of the Nobel Peace Prize. The year was 1888. Alfred Nobel was sitting at his table with his head in his hands. He had just read an obituary in the newspaper. You see, Alfred Nobel's brother, Ludwig, had died. But interestingly, the newspaper editor got the two brothers confused. And what he wrote was the obituary for Alfred Nobel. And the headline said this, The merchant of death has died. For you see, Alfred Nobel had been the inventor and distributor of dynamite. And he had spent a lot of his life and built his fortune on helping people know how to kill one another. And he had the rare privilege of reading how he would be viewed after he died while he was still alive. 
And when he read that description of his life, something broke inside of him. And he made the way for the using of, in those days, $9 million, which in today's dollars would be nearly $300 million, to start a foundation called the Nobel Peace Prize, which we now hear about every year in our culture, because he wanted his legacy not to be that the merchant of death has died, but that the one who created a way to celebrate peace has died. I share that with you because every one of us comes to the place where we say, what would be remembered of me? All that I possessed? All that I had? Well, I've officiated at dozens and dozens of funerals in my life. And you know, I find it really interesting that we really never talk about what people had. We just talk about what they gave. We talk about how they made a difference, the lives that they impacted, how the world is better because they lived. Those are the things we celebrate at the end of life. So today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, none of what I'm talking about makes any sense to you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you're nodding your head and saying, yes, it's the perspective that I need. I'm proposing a new way. Not that we live with our own self at the center of life, that our purposes in life are all about how do we get ahead, but that we live with a different purpose in life. That we say, how can I see myself as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? So I want to say to you that perhaps you should have a question that rings in your head at all times. And in this new year, you might want to write this down in, in, in the back pages of your Bible or some other place that you're reminded. But this is the question. How would Jesus respond to this situation? And when we resolve in our hearts to live like Jesus with kingdom values, kingdom purposes, it changes everything about us. It even changes the way you react to the careless person who shoves their parking uh, cart or their shopping cart into your parked Buick out in the lot. You know what I'm saying? You, you begin to think differently about life. And so I want to close this message just with a quote for you from a, a famous missionary. Many of you have heard this quote. But as, as the years and the decades roll ahead, this quote becomes more and more precious to me and more and more true. And these familiar words say, only one life will soon be passed. Boy, soon just keeps, keeps coming closer. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So we think about ourselves as partners in the gospel work. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you into a whole new way of living, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new set of values, a whole new family that walks with you in the partnership of the gospel work. It's a sense of purpose. It's a sense that the resources that God's given to you 
are just part of the bigger picture of how we make our world a better place in the name of Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus and you'd like to know him, there's a couple of things you can do. First, at the end of the service, we're going to have some people in the front corners who are willing to pray with you and maybe help you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's also a QR code that's on the screen that you can, um, you can scan this QR code and let us know that you would like someone from our ministry team to reach out to you. Or you can visit us on our website by saying, uh, logging in myfirstchurch.com slash Jesus. I'm going to close this message with prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. As in our worship uh, time today, we, we prayed and called upon the name of Jesus in life situations who would make us uh, new and would give us the help that we need. But now, Lord, we've been challenged not only to call upon the name of Jesus, but to give our lives to Jesus, that his purposes in this world would be accomplished through us. And so, Lord, right now I want to pray that the stronghold of financial limitations is broken in lives of people who feel strapped. I want to pray, Father, that those people would take the courageous step to step forward to some of the resources that are available to help them become free. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that the enemy will no longer have a way to hold people in bondage, but to set them free in the name of Jesus. These are the things we pray in your holy name, and together we say, Amen.